Welcome to the Kennedy Beacon Podcast, the uncensored podcast that covers the stories and issues featured at the Kennedy Beacon Substack. I invite all of you to explore the beacon where you'll find talented writers and reporters bringing you important political analysis and courageous perspectives. And you'll learn more, of course, about Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign. Hey, everybody, I'm Francis Scott, and I'm here with my co-host Nico House and Aaron Good. Hey, guys. What's up? What's up? Hello, Francis. Thank you very much. Great to see you guys. Today's show called Every Poll Tells a Story, or at least in the aggregate. And when I say poll, of course, we're not talking about a poll like a poll vaulter. We're talking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s poll numbers, which are steadily rising. In fact, he's kind of like an Olympic pole vaulter in training because he's consistently outpacing every low expectation heaped onto him by the naysayers and the challengers. And before we get to that conversation, though, let's take a listen to a recent segment on breaking points with Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty. They're discussing Kennedy's polling numbers. Take a look. Okay, so I'll go through all of these. This is a new national general election poll. So if it's head to head, they've gotten, this is Quinnipiac, they've got Biden and Trump basically tied. Biden's got a one point edge. Then you throw RFK Jr. onto the ballot and the Biden lead uh, edges up a bit. Biden 39, Trump 36, Kennedy 22. I mean, that is a lot, guys. That is really, really significant. And then they also did one, if you add Cornell West into the mix, then you go back to Biden with a one-point lead, 36, Trump 35, Kennedy 19, Cornell West at six. Now, um, you know, I don't know how many ballots Cornell West is going to be able to get on. He's changed what party he's affiliated with a couple times. So I think there's a lot of questions about whether people are going to even really have the option of Cordell West on their ballot. But whether or not he is there, uh, RFK Jr., listen, I don't have a lot of intel into how well organized his campaign is, et cetera, but I know he's got a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I think it is very feasible that he ends up in on the ballot in most, if not all, states. And right now... He's pulling 22%. Now, I'll put out the caveat that I always do with regard to third parties. Usually their support is higher initially than later on. Um, he also, you know, within the Democratic primary, he suffered the more people got to know his positions and see him out there. That's possible that that happens with the general electorate as well. You know, the numbers of who he takes from, that could all shift, et cetera, et cetera. But that he's clocking 20 plus percent right out of the gates. And he's a Kennedy and he's got a lot of money. People ought to be taking notice. Let me read his direct quote, actually. Let's put this please up on the screen from Quinnipiac that they say, uh, quote, with minority and younger voters seeming intrigued, Kennedy, for now, enjoys the kind of demographic support his charismatic father and uncles generated decades ago, aka it is disaffected minorities and it is younger voters who usually skew left and who want at least some sort of um, uh, different option who are going RFK for now. Now, listen, it's possible that things could change. My advice for RFK, honestly, would just be keep doing what you're doing. Keep a low profile. The less people real honestly know about you, the better, because then they can just project. <laughs> Seriously, they I can agree. just project whatever they want onto you. They're yeah. like, oh, he's a candidate and he doesn't like the two-party system. <laughs> Full disclosure here, we're here because you know, we're fans, right? So we're not as surprised by his polling, except that maybe it's not higher. What do you guys think, Aaron and Nico? Should we all be as shocked as, as Crystal and Sagar? Aaron, you want to go? Or you, can I go ahead? Because I'm, I'm a little confused as to where they got this idea. <laughs> <that> <laughs> he was suffering in the Democratic Party the more they got to know him. In fact, if 
Bob Rakoy was the opposite, right? He was doing so well in the polls that they literally changed the rules so that he couldn't compete with Biden. So there's that. Um, and I would make an argument for that. For the most part, the more people, I mean, you can't really get minorities on your side. I don't care what your last name is. You can't get minorities on your side initially um, without them getting to know you unless you have some built up name recognition or you can throw like, for example, Obama's name gets attached to you somehow. But generally speaking, they have to get to know your positions. And Kennedy has actually made an effort before people start saying, who's going to get the black vote? Kenny's actually made an effort to go into these communities and talk to them. He's gone on to these hip hop podcasts and he's talked to these black influencers. Uh, and it doesn't. And if you listen to the conversation, it isn't necessarily because they're black. He's doing it because, well, he's trying to reach everybody. And those uh, numbers and that effort seems to be reflected in the polls. And I would just add on that um, in my experience with polling, uh, establishment candidates get a lot of favorability because of the demographics that they tend to question on these polls. But it's also important to remember that obviously there's a margin of error that has to be accounted for. And there's the fact that there's, I don't, I don't know what Chris was talking about. She's like, a lot of candidates will come out with a lot of initial support. Then they'll, you know, kind of fall off on the back end. I've never seen an independent candidate come out with 20 plus percent and just fall off, let alone a Kennedy for that matter. So there's a lot of factors that that uh, could be considered where, you, where we could honestly say that, and this is a spite, by the way, Kennedy has a pro- the same problematic stance on Israel and Palestine that the rest of the candidates have. And yet he's still climbing in the polls. So even with all that, he actually, it's probably, they're undershooting, they're undercutting and underestimating where he's likely going to end up at. And he's already qualified to get on the debate stage. Yeah, this that part is really amazing. Just think about it. Over the the years, the, the few years leading up to his announcement, even that he was going to run for president, there was nobody vilified as much as him maybe in American politics. He was somebody that could not be mentioned still just about without having a kind of epithet put in there of like anti-vaxxer, conspiracy theorist, and so on. So this is a person who was the entire weight of the inst- institutional mass media you know, propaganda megaphone was was geared towards smearing him and he comes out this high. And on top of that, when he made his announcement, the Israel thing taking center stage politically is about the worst most and most unlikely, uh, you know, improbable thing that could have happened to him. And he is still polling better than any third party candidate. He, he, according to some, he's doing better than Ross Perot ever did. And it hasn't really started. So I think that he... We are all hoping that we hear a more sensible plan uh, for how he might have peace and a just peace in the Middle East. I think it's quite possible, we're all rooting for this, that he ends up being the best of the three on, on that area as well, just because of the people around him. And so he is well positioned to do something really historic, and it coincides with something that is a seismic shift in, in world history that is happening right now, which is the end of... U.S. global dominance, which is really the end of Western dominance, which has lasted for centuries, because really after World War II, the U.S. took up the mantle of all of Western imperialism, essentially, and that is crumbling now. It is no longer tenable, and that is a reckoning is coming. And I even think a portion of the establishment is going to see the writing on the wall and see that Kennedy is really the only way forward that's not catastrophic for uh, the U.S. I think it'll be a disaster if he does not win. I'm not saying he will win because the U.S. empire does what it does, and that's what it, that's the what that's the nature of being an empire. But we have seen that they, that what they've been doing is disastrous, 
and they can't continue this way. And sometimes, somehow they have to bow to reality. Even, even the richest oligarchs in the U.S. are going to have to realize this is, we're done being the bosses of the world. And the last thing on this, 22% with, like Crystal said, all the money in the world and the last name Kennedy. And I mean, look at his opponents. Let's be real. The ball is completely in Kennedy's court. And it's up to what, it's up to him and what he does with it. Yeah, Aaron, I believe we have a, um, another, another piece we want to introduce. Do you want to introduce that? The mainstream legacy media really isn't saying much about these polls, but other people certainly are talking about this. The internet now allows a lot of forums for a lot of people to discuss things that maybe they'd rather us not talk about. So listen to this clip from a few days ago on a Sky News segment with conservative YouTube talk show host Dave Rubin. Let's talk politics. The New York Times keeps getting news out of one poll, but it's a big one. It shows Trump winning and Trump even winning when there are three candidates in the race. Himself, Joe Biden and RFK Jr., who apparently has 25% of the vote. Do you think it's that high? Well, Paul, we've discussed my feelings on polls in general, which, you know, there's definitely ways you can juice them, and it depends, you know, who's taking the polls and how they're asking the questions and all of those things. So I would, broadly speaking, I would take polls with a grain of salt. However, I would say it is very clear that RFK is doing something that is resonating with people in a very, very new way. He really is trying to find the disaffected Democrat as much as he is trying to find the disaffected Republican. And that is an awful lot of people right now. I don't think there's any evidence either way whether he would actually draw more away from, say, a Trump or a DeSantis or a, a Biden. I, I don't think there's really any way of quantifying that. I can tell you, I, I did an event with him about two weeks ago in Los Angeles, a super enthusiastic crowd. And I started asking people, I literally walked out into the crowd after the event, and I started asking people, you know, which way do you usually vote? And it was everywhere. I mean, I'm telling you, it was half Republicans, it was half Democrats, it was half independents. Now, that's three halves, but it was a lot of people. I think you see my point. So something around what he is doing, calling out nonsense, particularly around COVID, particularly around the media and everything else. And Paul, keep this in mind. Let's say he's not at 25%, but let's say he's even at 15, or even, even if it was 10%, that's an extraordinary number for an independent. And he's doing it while the media is completely ignoring him. So yes, the more they ignore him, the more I actually think something is going on there. So first of all, let me just say that I think Dave Rubin would take exception to being called a conservative. He calls himself a classical liberal. And I guess we should consider that no matter how conservative his views actually are. This seems like a good time to introduce our guest for today, Jeremy Zogby, the managing partner, John Zogby Strategies. Jeremy began working for the family business at the age of 10. Now, full disclosure here, we want our listeners to know that John Zogby Strategies is the polling company that the Kennedy Beacon works with to try to track and analyze how well Kennedy's campaign is doing. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Jeremy, you would know, I mean, bring in some context for us with regard to this poll, other polls. We, we've seen the New York Times, Siena College poll. What are your thoughts? Bring context in. And, you know, polling is what you do for a living. So obviously you believe in it. Where do you see him right now with regard to where he's ranking in these polls? Yeah. So, you know, the, the first thing that a pollster has to make very clear to pundits and, and to analysts and those who follow polls is that you don't track across polling firms. If, if, for example, in a week or two weeks, Quinnipiac comes out with a poll, Harvard comes out with a poll, Zogby comes out with a poll, don't look for the line across three polling firms. Look within the polling firm and follow each polling firm. But with that said, okay, 
uh, we we released in in uh, late September, uh, along with American Values, we were the first ones to break onto the scene with the three way, and we had Kennedy at nineteen percent. Quinnipiac has a twenty two percent. Harvard Caps twenty two percent. These are national averages, by the way. Either way you slice it, he's commanding a fifth of the vote, and there's a year to go. Now the way that I I just to put more context, and this is kind of already been discussed, but think about it this way. Kennedy is picking up where Ross Perot left off. Now, Ross Perot took a break. You know, I think his daughter was ill and there were some other things. He may have been uh, polling higher before that, but he on election day got 18.9%, which is rounded off 19% of the electorate. That was 1992. Here we are one year from the election and Kennedy is entering with a fifth of the vote, either way you slice it, Quinnipiac, Harvard, or myself, Zogby. Um, and um, th- that, that's pretty pretty significant. The other thing that I want to add in there is um, coming at it from a historical perspective is there are inexorable forces that uh, are, are, are allowing this dynamic to happen, one of which is we are witnessing um, a disillusionment with both political parties that I'm comfortable saying is at all times all time highs. I, I'm referencing one particular survey uh, by Pew, where 63% have little to no faith at all in both political parties. And some of my own polling, uh, drilling down on the issue of hyperpolarization, who do American voters pin the blame on? They pin the blame equally on both parties. So, and then of course, just throw in, look at these institutions that voters used to, um, you know, not too long ago have faith in Congress, the Supreme Court, uh, the political parties, the office of the presidency, all these things, people are lacking in trust at all time high. So it is no surprise that somebody uh, who looks like JFK, looks like RFK, talks like JFK and RFK has a very similar message um, with, with a broad appeal comes on the scene. And, and, and it, it's really no surprise. I just want to add one more thing here. We, you know, Crystal Ball is, is saying, well, I've never seen anything like this with, with third parties or however she put it. There's a whole history uh, uh, and a cyclical history. I've gone back to, to my uh, textbooks here. 1892, all right, we had a, a third party candidate. 1912, of course, was Teddy Roosevelt. 1924, a socialist received 17% of the popular vote. 1948, 1968, and 1992. If you look at those numbers, it's basically a 12-year, 20-year cycle. This one's a little long overdue, but so put it all back together. And there are these inexorable forces of disillusionment with the system, disillusionment with uh, hyperpolarization in the political parties, and a rich history not a folly, not quixotic, a rich history in third party ways or third uh, third party candidate runs. And as I just will repeat once more, Kennedy is picking up um, where Perot left off. How would you compare this to the Perot situation politically? Because like Perot, I mean, Perot was also hard to classify 
on the on a political spectrum. He was ran, ran against NAFTA. It's hard to. He was a, a populist of a sort, but he was also a businessman. He was pro business in some ways. Mm-hmm. Kennedy has a mix of those kind of things, and I I do think that he's more he's more close politically to his father and uncle than people recognize. But they're those are also figures who are perceived in different ways by different people. Uh, what would you attribute his appeal to besides the general disillusionment to, um, to with with the two parties that are both demonstrably pretty corrupt? Yeah, well, I mean, we can't ignore the fact of that the name Kennedy uh, packs a, a powerful punch early, early, very early on in my polling. I saw moderates who and independents, and that's still the case, by the way. Kennedy leads uh, uh, both Trump and Biden among independent voters. Um, but early on in the polling, moderates were, were fascinated. So I think the name is strong. But, you know, we're at a point now where we can't say a lot of voters don't know who Kennedy is. When, when you look at favorable, unfavorable ratings, when you ask that question, you always have to give the choice. Does the voter have enough information to, to make a judgment? And... Um, you know, not too long ago, it, it, it came down to only 20 percent uh, didn't have enough information. And that had fallen from it was in the high 30s initially. So my point is, is with all of the news coverage that he got over the summer, um, voters learned about him. And what did they learn about him? I, there are two things that jump out at me. Kennedy's not somebody who gives you a 30 second answer. He'll give you a 10 minute answer. Um so, so I think voters are, for the first time, seeing, wow, you know, here's a candidate who really goes into the weeds and into depth on, on issues. Another major thing that Bobby has going for him that I, I would confidently say, you can disagree with me, that his father and, and uncle didn't have as much, is that Bobby knows how to blend uh, left and, and, and right um, stances uh, sentiment and ideas and do it very seamlessly in a way that it doesn't come off contradictory. And that that's very unusual in the political landscape is you either fall on the left, you fall in line with the party, you fall on the right, right? But uh, we have somebody who can seamlessly do it in a way that it doesn't look contradictory. And, and uh, my guess, my um, uh, observation of that is it's it's probably refreshing to voters. So given, you know, his competition and uh, where he's at in the polling right now, how good of a chance do you think Bobby actually has to win and bring his thing home? Well, I, I mean, <clears throat> I just go back to saying that here we are in November with one year to go. I mean, I can't, we can't predict, right? We, we uh, and this is the other thing that we have to know about polling. The only time that a pollster should really predict is in that final week leading up to the election because you have gone into the field over months and months and you've tracked it and you see all the undercurrents. We should not be making predictions now, but we cannot ignore the fact that a fifth of the vote is falling into his hands. Meanwhile, uh, Trump and Biden are very much disliked. You look at uh, Trump and Biden's favorable, unfavorable ratings. They're those who, who rate him unfavorably, it's like 55% for both of them. But the lion's share of that is 45% who um, 
are very unfavorable. Remember, we, we combine these scales, like we'll, we'll do somewhat unfavorable and uh, very unfavorable. The lion's share of the dislike towards both Biden and, uh, and Trump is, is the intense camps saying that they, they, uh, they, they find him um, very unfavorable. So all of that is, is, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is with Biden and Trump polling under the 40s, uh, in 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 the 30s, and um, they're very you know um, much disliked. It's hard to see them gaining popularity. So to answer your question, that is um, an opportunity for Kennedy to capitalize on and and move some of that over to his side. Awesome, awesome. Well, we appreciate it, man. Jeremy, this has been a really enlightening show. We really appreciate your time and expertise. As Kennedy's progress continues, I hope you'll join us again down the road. Um, and we invite everyone to tune in next week for a special one-hour podcast roundtable discussion on the 60th anniversary of JFK's assassination. Aaron, do you want to say something about that before we close out? Just that I'm very excited to do it, and it should be a great show. I will be discussing the ongoing significance of the JFK assassination 60 years after the fact with authors David Talbot and Dick Russell and filmmakers Libby Handros and John Kirby. They are the producer and director of a new Apple TV series of films called Four Died Trying, which is about the assassinations of John Kennedy, Malcolm X, MLK, and Robert F. Kennedy Sr., uh, four people who died trying to achieve peace uh, in the world and to redirect America in a more peaceful direction. Uh, we may also have one or two surprise guests uh, whose names I won't say right now, but so you're going to have to tune in to see if any other additional people show up. But it will be a full and fascinating hour of discussion on a topic that could not be more important now, even 60 years after the fact. Could not be more relevant. Aaron, thank you. I cannot wait to see that. Thank you, Nico. Thank you, Jeremy. Next week's show, we want to remind you, airing on Wednesday, November 22nd, an actual anniversary date instead of a regular Sunday time slot. On behalf of all of us here, thank you for tuning in. And we also want to remind you, go by the Kennedy Beacon Substack. You're going to read some really great stuff there. Kennedy Beacon writers, you'll learn more about the, the issues. That's where, we're, that's where they're discussed at length. So thank you so much for joining us for the Kennedy Beacon Podcast. 